Arbor. WCBN.org. Grabs on to attempt it for the Wolverines. Holds her breath Ann Arbor as Navarre gets set. Places down. Kick is up. It's long enough. It's good! It's good! Michigan wins the game! Michigan shocks Washington and the Wolverines are victorious! Good evening, and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. A very quick wrap-up of the election. We'll give out some brain damage awards for this whole nonsense about Benghazi. That's back in the news, thanks to a 60 Minutes report. Obviously, the catastrophe in the Philippines is ongoing. Uh, Apparently, one of the largest tropical storms in the history of human civilization well uh get ready for more of the same yeah on the eve of a global warming conference yeah uh the evidence has been in for decades now on this one the warmer the earth gets the more intense the storms get the more people will die the more property will be destroyed but that's science well it was interesting because i did see a photograph just last week of water in miami beach that uh, was the result of, quote, high tide. Uh, This water looked like it was about ankle deep, but Miami is actually the uh, major American city that's most vulnerable, uh, along with Norfolk, uh, Virginia. Uh, The Chesapeake Bay area is uh, exceedingly vulnerable to sea rise. And, uh, well, this is just one more (laughs) issue that our Congress is simply avoiding any action on uh treading water on you might say it's interesting if you look worldwide where uh, who lives in the most vulnerable low-lying land it's typically the very poor um or in america the very the very rich, rich. exactly <laughs> it's one or the other because it just depends on uh, how the land has been developed uh how many resources are still available there and so you've got places like uh Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, uh, Bangladesh particularly, uh, where there are routinely devastating, you know, body counts in these uh, these horrible storms. That's only going to get worse. Uh, but of course, most people in most states won't care if it's primarily the poor who die. But when the elites begin to lose their lovely uh, beachfront properties, that's when people will get concerned. Yeah, and there should be open discussions about. <clears throat> uh, some of the restoration of the beaches. You know, it's interesting that Chris Christie, uh, 
uh, governor of uh, New Jersey was reelected. A low turnout there will uh, give him credit for orchestrating the special election that allowed uh, Cory Booker to run separately last month. He was filling a vacant Senate seat that Frank Lautenberg uh, gave up due to death. So, you know, Christie reorchestrated you know, orchestrated that primary for his own benefit. But uh, another sort of interesting, just to change subjects very quickly, the margin that de Blasio won in New York was uh, absolutely amazing. And I think that the media sort of underreported the decidedly left of center orientation of this election. Uh, the, obviously, the Tea Party folks uh, that were defeated in Virginia and Alabama. There was a special congressional election in Alabama and a Tea Party dude was defeated by the establishment Republican candidate there. But uh, I was fascinated to look at the margin that de Blasio won in New York uh, with the Hispanic vote. And if that trend continues, and of course the uh, John Boehner uh, gets another brain damage award because he simply will not allow an immigration vote. And obviously, this if this trend continues, uh, the Republican Party is going to be uh, in big trouble. They won't be able to hang on to even the conservative Hispanic vote. Yeah, so while uh, Chris Christie has this sort of aura of authenticity, they say, <laughs> I think that was the word uh, used to describe his popularity in New Jersey, and he rode the Hurricane Sandy catastrophe over a year ago to, uh, you know, be out there hugging people. That, that was his big claim to fame. And there's kind of a mixed record about his actual record. But uh, the fact that in Virginia, in the uh, gubernatorial race, and I always think there's a little bit too much placed in these off-year elections, because obviously turnout is very light pretty much everywhere. I mean, here in Ann Arbor, we had a lot of write-in candidate-type elections in some of our, our uh, city wards. Including the 20-pound carp. And I think it got 25 votes or something, or was it more than that? It was in the 20s, I yeah. seem to remember. That'll have, but that actually made national news, by the way. I saw a photograph of a sculpture resembling a 20-pound carp. Well, some of those Tea Party candidates uh, intellectually probably would be ready to go head-to-head with a 20-pound carp. But in, in Virginia, with Terry McAuliffe winning, and, and he's a really weird guy, I mean, I think. He, he used to be the chairman of the Democratic Party. He's obviously a friend of Bill Clinton. And... Uh, Major Boodle was raised by the Clintons on behalf of McAuliffe, but he was a kind of an awkward candidate. He's a kind of a policy wonk kind of guy. And while he won narrowly, uh, I think that it should trouble the GOP establishment uh, that uh, their Tea Party man did so poorly. Other interesting thing, there were a variety of initiatives all over the country. Uh, minimum wage went way up in, in, in the state of Washington. Uh, we had uh, initiatives that were definitely left of center for the most part, and I don't think that the uh, media commented on that quite enough. One other interesting note, uh, <clears throat> John Runyon, who played football here at the University of Michigan, was elected uh, 
to the Congress from the state of New Jersey riding the wave of the Tea Party a couple of years ago. Runyon played in the NFL for, I think, 15 years. I don't have any data in front of me, but I'm willing to bet he's uh, one of the all-time leaders at offensive linemen in terms of games played. Because he had a very durable career. And he played on that great Rose Bowl team that uh, <clears throat> knocked Washington silly. They were undefeated number one. Tyrone Wheatley ran 238 yards or something like that, and we really beat them up. That was probably the best Michigan team ever that since I've been here overall, and they only were denied the national championship because they had a very poor f kicker who missed quite a number of PATs. But that team was actually undefeated. They had three ties. So anyway, they didn't win the national championship, but it's interesting that just a couple of days after these elections, John Runyon announced that he's not running for re-election. Uh, of course, his statement was, I want to spend more time with my family. Uh, I can believe him there. He noted that he has three young children, and he certainly, uh, I think, decided to resign because, uh, or not run for re-election, shall we say, because he was one of the Republicans that was frustrated by the government shutdown, the recalcitrance of John Boehner and the Tea Party. And while I'm not an expert on his voting record, uh, one can see that if a moderate Republican from New Jersey uh, has lost some uh, fight. <laughs> well, just sick of banging his head on the yeah. wall. And it said, I, enough of this. That's another troubling trend for the Republican Party. Finally, on the Detroit situation, it'll be interesting to see how Mike Duggan, who uh, sort of his claim to fame is healthcare management, uh, Detroit Medical Center uh, director, that was his sort of forte, his resume that justified electing him. It'll be interesting to see how he weathers the storm with the whole financial uh, situation in the city of Detroit, uh, first white mayor to be elected in 40 years. And uh, he won decisively, not, not overwhelmingly, um, not like de Blasio in New York, but uh, some interesting trends in this uh, off-year election. Enough of that. <laughs> And as for the Tea Party, uh, I was very interested. There was a, a piece in the uh, <clears throat> New York Times by James Traub, who's a columnist uh, that works at Foreign Policy. I think this fellow used to be uh, a New York Times uh, foreign correspondent. A very interesting article on the 7th of August, The Tea Party's Path to Irrelevance. And he's writing a book about John Quincy Adams, and I just wanted to read this because I think it's very interesting to look at uh, history. He writes, the people of the East, and this was, uh, he's quoting a Federalist here, cannot reconcile their habits, views, and interests with those of the South and West, declared Thomas Pickering, a leading Massachusetts Federalist. Every Federalist in Congress, save John Quincy Adams, voted against the Louisiana Purchase. And by the way, most historians would regard the Louisiana Purchase as one of the great acts of 
Any American president? Any American president. It's well established that Jefferson kind of went around Congress. Uh, he set the deal up secretly. Napoleon Bonaparte needed money to fight his uh, clueless wars. Uh, and he sold uh, the Louisiana Purchase to the United States for $15 million. Adams, too, saw that New England, the cradle of the revolution, had become a small part of a new nation. Change. Quote, being found in nature, he wrote stoically, cannot be resisted, unquote. But resist is precisely what the Federalists did, fearing the Irish, English, and German newcomers that would vote for the Jeffersonian Republicans. They argued unsuccessfully for excluding immigrants from voting or holding office and pushed to extend the period of naturalization from five to 14 years. Leading Federalists even plotted to, quote, establish a separate government in New England, as William Plumer, a senator from Delaware, later conceded. The plot collapsed when the proposed military leader, Aaron Burr, killed the proposed political guide, Alexander Hamilton. In that in those, in those couple of comments or paragraphs there, I think there's a kind of interesting parallel. And, of course, the name of the column itself was the Tea Party's Path to Irrelevance, in which he talks about the uh, problems of the uh, Tea Party movement here in the United States. But there's an interesting parallel there, uh, you know, the just separate nation, the voting against the immigration, and almost a blindness to the fact that the Louisiana Purchase was actually a brilliant uh, move by Thomas Jefferson. It was the yeah. hatred of Thomas Jefferson. Right. And of course the Federalists never uh, held power uh, again uh, as far as the presidency. Well, of course, it's also possible to make the argument that uh, France didn't really have any legal claim to that land that they yeah, sold. <laughs> so, exactly. But, you know, that that's a different argument altogether. Um, but this sort of willful hatred of uh, a political leader uh, that's so severe and so strong that it disables you from recognizing a good deal when you see one. I mean, that's a whole hell of a lot of real estate. For $15 million. Indeed. And uh, I talk about pennies on the dollar. Um, but uh, there was uh, uh, an article in uh, this Sunday's uh, New York Times. I don't have it in front of me here. But it was basically uh, talking about how uh, by gerrymandering uh, the congressional districts so successfully as they've done, the Republicans have set themselves up for a situation where there are a number of districts where there aren't really going to be viable Democratic candidates, and so you've got this intra-party slugfest uh, that's beginning to go on. And here's where uh, the sort of mainstream Republicans are finally beginning to fight back against the Tea Party, which, like the headline of the piece you just read, uh, The Path to Irrelevance, uh, I think in a lot of ways um, the Tea Party has been forgive the expression, a tempest in a teapot. Yeah. Um, not as much to be nervous or worried about as some people have been. Uh, but I think it's also uh, remarkable the extent to which the 
background story on the Tea Party has remained murky and submerged. The big money, the corporate money, the, mm-hmm. the sort of funds this false populist movement. Um, Created by, of course, the Citizen United. Exactly, by the big decision. money behind mm-hmm. the corporate agenda to make uh, elections basically a commercial transaction. Uh, there could hardly be anything less democratic in the entirety of American history than the Citizens United decision, and yet the Tea Party takes that as a basic tenet. Uh, of course, one of the great protests of the American Revolution was taxation without representation is tyranny. Uh, and of course, that still holds true. But taxation with representation equals civilization, equals well, society. Mindlessness mine, with overrepresentation should, should trouble us as well yeah, because exactly. it's well established. That leads that, to nothing. For instance, the citizens of Wyoming have significantly more voting clout uh, in the United States Congress than citizens from California. And when you look at a city like New York City that's, you know, got an official population of, you know, eight and a half, nine million people, that's larger than most states in the in the United right. States of America. Uh, and uh, New York doesn't, the city, which is obviously significant, uh, significant to the American economy for all sorts of reasons, uh, doesn't have adequate representation in the federal Congress. They have no senators. They obviously have a large congressional delega- uh, delegation that's uh, primarily, interestingly, Hispanic and African-American. Um, but uh, underrepresented, I'm, I, I dare say, if somebody did some real official analysis of uh, how these congressional districts look uh, around the country, I don't know what you want to make of this Yasser Arafat story with the poisoning. I think that's very interesting. I wanted to make an observation here that I find fascinating regarding this story. Of Uh, course, his body's been exhumed. Yeah. Uh, It was rumored at the time of his death that he may have been poisoned, but he'd been ill for a long time. Yeah. Uh, He was elderly, uh, et cetera, but he has been exhumed and this has been determined. And what's interesting is last week they had a report by a, quote, Swiss uh, medical facility that did some analysis, and polonium, of course, was the magic element that uh, aroused suspicion. But this is what I find interesting, and I wanted to read this. Dated the 16th of October, in other words, this was a month ago, and this is uh, a Reuters news story from Europe. It says, Russia... Agency finds no trace of poison in the body of Palestinian leader. The story goes, the head of Russian forensics said Tuesday that samples taken from the body of Palestinian leader Yasser Arafat left had revealed no traces of radioactive polonium, a Russian news agency reported. If confirmed, the findings would deal a blow to the Palestinian suspicions that Mr. Arafat was assassinated by Israel The theory fueled by a Swiss lab report last year found unusual amounts of an isotope of polonium uh, on his clothes. Well, obviously there there are calls for official investigations, but it's interesting that Russia, uh, that allegedly used polonium several times in some assassinations, would have a forensic scientist deny that there was any uh, polonium. Now, I am... 
certainly not going to suggest that Israel assassinated uh, Yasser Arafat. Although they did, like the U.S. with Fidel Castro, try a number of times. Because at one point, Arafat was more uh, willing to, quote, negotiate than Hamas. And he, uh, Arafat had plenty of rivals within the Palestinian right. movement. So while there probably will be more, quote, investigations, uh, I remain skeptical uh, of this whole polonium uh, business regarding Yasser Arafat, but I wouldn't rule it out. So more investigations are probably needed. Netanyahu, of course, will give him a brain damage award for a different reason. He's been exceedingly vociferous all week regarding any possibility of any progress on an uh, Iranian uh, nuclear deal that, of course, we learned is still... Uh, well, he's done everything he yeah. can to throw a wrench into uh, the negotiations that have been yeah. ongoing. Uh, the United States has missed a couple of, a couple of uh, important opportunities to normalize relations with Iran, to use uh, negotiation and actual confrontation in a verbal sense uh, to prevent a nuclear escalation in the region. <clears throat> um, something has to be done uh, with this new opportunity that the recent Iranian elections have uh, made available. And it almost seems as over the weekend uh, as though France has uh, sort of fallen into line with Netanyahu's protest and France is going to voice the objection that, well, this is all well and good, but uh, the safeguards don't go far enough. Although Kerry, John Kerry, Secretary of State John Kerry, sort of threw cold water on that over just today. Yeah, yeah He actually argued that the, the so-called P6 or whatever they're calling themselves, the six nations involved in these uh, discussions are temporarily suspending negotiations, but that they will be resumed, and there has been some progress here and there. But I think that it's telling that uh, Netanyahu is so uh, uncooperative, so visibly uncooperative. Maybe he uh, and John Boehner should uh, go out to lunch. Well, uh, Iran is very politically useful for Likud. Um, it's the big bogeyman. Uh, Saddam Hussein used to be the big bogeyman. Um, and now it's Iran. And, of course, as Syria continues to spiral off into uh, further despair, uh, Iran's ability to uh, shape and change events on the ground elsewhere in the Middle East uh, appears to be uh, hampered, limited uh, by a number of uh, factors. And so um, Netanyahu can't lose his scary man. And on the final uh, aspects of this Reuters report, I'll just quote the uh, Russian business here because it's kind of interesting even how the article appears says the Russian news agency Interfax quoted Vladimir Weba, who heads the Federal Medico-Biological Agency, as saying, the quote, the research conducted by Russian experts found no trace of the substance, unquote. However, the agency later denied that it had made an official statement about the research, <laughs> saying only that it had handed its results to the Russian foreign ministry. The foreign ministry declined to make any immediate comment. Mr. Arafat died at the age of 75 of an unexplained ailment he developed while confined to his Ramallah headquarters by Israeli tanks at the height of an armed Palestinian uprising in 2004. 
So there you have it. Uh, that would, you know, in my opinion, if he was confined to his uh, his tent, uh, I don't know how the Israelis could have killed him, but they surely have double agents in Hamas. That's uh, the, the mark. And polonium, by the way, is used apparently because it's uh, somewhat untraceable. So, and, and Russian uh, assassins have used it in the past. I think the most famous example of this was the, you know, the umbrella-tipped uh, assassin, assassination that occurred in the late 70s of a Czech diplomat in London oh, right, who was right. stabbed by an umbrella. Um, surely they... It sounds like something out of an Alfred Hitchcock movie. It, 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 it does, and it, <laughs> it's interesting that it was an umbrella because that, of course, was the symbol of uh, Neville Chamberlain. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, of course, in the Kennedy assassination, there was a man flapping an umbrella uh, that has led to some speculation. He may have been a, a timer for the uh, the hmm. assassins. Well, before we leave Russia, though, we are down to about five minutes in the program here. You are listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor, program Gray Matters. Because um, I imagine we'll want to have at least a little something to say about... Uh, the uh, Kennedy assassination's 50th anniversary uh, fast and approaching, but uh, there was an item in The Guardian today about a Russian artist, a uh, performance artist, who nailed his own scrotum to Red Square Sunday afternoon. Is he a teabagger? <laughs> Not for a couple of weeks. <laughs> um uh, his his reason was that uh, as a protest against uh, a protest against uh, Russia, becoming, he is an ex tea bagger. <laughs> ex tea bagger, uh, a deceased. <laughs> no, he's fine. He was taken to hospital. He refused treatment. He's merely pining pining for the few. <laughs> he's pining, all right. Uh, but uh, it was a protest against the increasing uh, police state tendency of the Russian government. Uh, the same artist as in the past uh, physically stitched his own lips together as a protest on behalf of uh, the punk rockers um, Pussy Riot. Oh, okay. So, well, uh, he sounds charming, but uh, I didn't think I'll skip having tea with him. Yeah. But, of course, um, today is also the... Um, oh, we've got a group of uh, visitors in the studio here today. Uh from a uh, local facility. We're happy to see them here at WCBN. Uh, members of the community visiting the community radio station. Um, but today is also Armistice Day. Yes. Which, of course, has been renamed Veterans Day here in America. Uh, but worldwide, it's still pretty much set aside for the First World War, which, of course, ended mythically uh, almost uh, this is really what they say that at the 11th minute of the 11th day of the 11th month yeah. of the 11th year uh the great war uh also called the war to end all wars uh was finally brought to a conclusion um of course the war to end all wars was a wilsonian characterization after we got involved indeed but, and uh, ironically um it really became the war to jumpstart the very next war yeah so there's no denying that. Everyone pretty much knows that the 20th century uh, gets its kickstart from World War One. Everything else that happened in the century has its antecedent there. And you can really say the same thing about the Kennedy assassination, that the 1960s, as we know them as a sort of a mental construct, don't really begin until the Kennedy assassination, 
where the sort of the lid is off and uh, the flashlight is shown into the darker corners, really for the first time. Most people just sort of blithely assumed that, why would our government lie? Uh, everything's fine. They're doing what they say they're doing, and it's for the right reason. Yeah. But once the Kennedy assassination happened, sort of all bets were off on what you thought anymore about who was who and what was what. Yeah, and regardless of your ideas regarding conspiracy theories, and obviously the 50th anniversary is coming up, and of course next year will be the 100th anniversary of the start of World War One. Yep. What's fascinating about the Kennedy assassination is there clearly was a government cover-up uh, about the evidence. The Warren Commission was uh, rigged. Uh, by the way, there's a new book out by Philip Sheenon, he was interviewed on Fresh Air a couple of weeks ago by Terry Gross. Uh, highly recommended. Actually, she didn't do the interview. Her assistant did. Uh, I think his name is Dave Davies. But uh, this is a very. It sounds like a very interesting book, uh, newly published. And there's going to be a, a slew of these books. But of course, here in the United States, uh, Veterans Day, uh, we're you know dealing with with the the hangover from our wars Indeed. in recent years. And it's staggering to realize, I heard Barry McCafferty today note that over 9,000 Americans have died in Iraq and Afghanistan. These wars have certainly cost American taxpayers somewhere between 2 and $3 trillion, with no end in sight in terms of the money appropriated for uh, veteran care benefit, uh, benefits uh, as a result of the damage that this war does to human beings. I've always noted that it's interesting that during World War II, the uh, Department of War, as it was called back then, mm -hmm. conducted a survey of uh, combat veterans and found that uh, sustained combat exposure of over six months led to 98% people, uh, soldiers, becoming quote-unquote psychotic and the remaining 2% were already psychotic. Yeah. So we know that these extended tours of duty that were uh, employed by Donald Rumsfeld and George W. Bush were a catastrophe for and our really nation. A form of cruel and unusual punishment. Indeed. Well, we're out of time. We'd like to thank Andrew for engineering here on Gray Matters uh, down here at WCBN FM Ann Arbor. You got a real treat coming up tonight on Yazoo City Calling. Nothing but 78s. Yep. So the uh, gentlemen down there are, uh, boy, they got a crew <laughs> that are going to be working the 78s, the, uh, the old record. So uh, stay tuned. It should be fun. Your radio is on. It's on 88.3 FM. WCBN-FM, Ann Arbor's 24-hour open-minded radio surprise pudding, licensed to the regents of the University of Michigan, operated by students at the University of Michigan, uniquely maintained as a healthy alternative and a positive influence on the mental health of the Ann Arbor community. You are here.
Good evening and welcome to Yazoo City Calling on WCBN, FM, and Arbor. This is our weekly dedication to early American blues music and its origins, broadcasting to you live every Monday since 1988. Tonight we have a special show prepared for you. For the next hour we have 78 RPM from 7 to 8 PM, early American blues on genuine shellac from the collections of Tony Bercy from Detroit, Raleigh Tussing from Ann Arbor, and myself, Weston Hughes. We begin with a recording made by Blind Willie Johnson for the Columbia record label in Dallas, Texas of 1928. Jesus is coming soon. Take a listen. 